Edward. Nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me in your office. Oh, this has been good. A uh, little bit of a short-term notice and a, a random meeting, but uh, I thought it'd be valuable to have you on the podcast. And uh, yeah, how about starting with a little bit of a background on who you are and uh, why you're here? Yeah, um, my name is Adrian Midwood. I'm the executive director of Plastic Oceans Canada. Um, that came about as uh, I grew up in Maple Ridge, in the lower mainland outside of Vancouver. Actually, my father was a lineman. Uh, he worked with the t on the telephone side, but then ended up uh, doing a lot of joint ventures with hydro and, and the telephone. And then moved out to Vancouver Island and kind of fell in love with the ocean. So that led into, s it started out with surfing and then started traveling around the world. Uh, then I got onto boats so I could get out to random islands with nobody around and try to find those perfect waves um, that no one knew about. So I figured the easiest way would be to become a captain. So yeah, random that. islands like all over the world. Um, I, yeah, in the beginning, I was just like anywhere, yeah. you know. And then I ended up focusing on the South Pacific for a lot of reasons. But yeah. um, you know, like my first job on a boat was in Indonesia, and we got fired out with AK-47s, and what? I didn't really like that. Oh wow, then, um, crazy! <laughs> I was running a boat in the Caribbean one time with my ex, and uh, you know, we woke up in the morning with everything stolen and a machete in the side of the boat, and I was like. That's not too cool. So I just, I really fell in love with the more Polynesian side. Yeah. And that actually goes into why my boat's a Polynesian voyaging canoe. Yeah. And study Polynesian navigation, like how wave patterns work and stars. And you could actually navigate without a chart, without a sextant, and just use the, the motion of the ocean and what's above you to, to get from A to B. Wow. And you found out, you figured all, all that out on your own. No, there's books. Yeah. <laughs> but I start with Moana the Moana taught you. <laughs> She did teach me her Funny stuff. story about that later. Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, Thanks, Disney. Before we get too far along in this, I'd like to just back it up a touch, um, relate back to the audience that I have here, mm -hmm. uh, being the electrical world and in particular linemen and line workers. You say your father was a lineman. Um, <clears throat> you grew up uh, with, as, a, as a dad who was a lineman. In what type of lineman was he? Uh, telephone. Telephone. So, um, yeah, he was, and he'd work out of town a lot. My yeah. parents were really young when they had a kid, so he would take the out-of-town work to, to make the extra buck. And there's also, as well, like, to create opportunities for me and my brother. Um, and I think that's part of that nature. Love came in as he was working all over the province, and as soon as there was a long weekend or spring break or something, he'd normally try to plan it that we would have a hotel room close to some different mountain sure. or some different coast coastal city and made it an experience for you. Exactly. And he always talks about his experience as a lineman, like yeah. being able to work in the most remote areas of British Columbia and see like just, you know, nature at it on steroids, you know, like yeah. whether it's mama and baby bear walking around underneath the tower, or, yeah. you know, feeding off the river and, and just the changing of seasons in this rugged province that we've got. So see, that's kind of like, that's one of the, not to say issues, but, um, one of the things you can do as a lineman, because linemen often struggle with, and I know this for myself as well, <clears throat> you struggle struggle with a f the family life and uh, being away and on the road so much and then uh, being away from the family so much. It can cause that separation. So it sounds like your dad had found a way to maybe oh, bring you guys and make you part of the experience. Right? Yeah, I mean, we were happy to get rid of him as well. So <laughs> <laughs> we're on both sides. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. But uh, yeah, he, he definitely just made it happen. Um, so it was twofold, you know, he was able to, as a young family, earn a little bit more by going out of town, but yeah. then just incorporated my brother and I into that. Good. And we got a lot of cool experiences because of it. Mostly in the British Columbia area. All British Columbia. Yeah. Um, later in his career, he was in management with, um, 
with TELUS. So, um, yeah, he was, he was in other areas, but I was gone by then. Yeah. So it was always BC. Wow. So, uh, after, like, I guess after leaving home, you said you, you ended up in places like Tofino off the west coast of BC surfing and, and mm-hmm. doing things like that and end up falling in love with the ocean. Yeah. I moved out to Tofino when I was 18. Um, <laughs> had no, I, I, wow. Basically, someone said there was surf in Canada about six weeks or eight weeks before that. I was like, going. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought, and I was half decent at snowboarding at the time. I'd done like a couple border cross competitions and stuff. And I mean, we'd grown up on the mountain as much as we could. So I thought that surfing would be super easy. Yeah. Comfortable <laughs> standing sideways. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, I got this. It's and not normal for most people. Like straight on. I know for myself, I struggled with sideways. Oh man. It's, <laughs> and surfing's the hardest sport in the world really. Cause you have to learn how the ocean works. And, and I think that's what happened with my career, you know, and in, in the beginning it was just to like, I ended up being a paddy dive instructor. I was a kite surfing instructor. And, and surfing, uh, guiding, and all these different sports, but I just was, like, absolutely obsessed with how the ocean would work. Yeah. And, like, you know, whether, like, so that's how a wave is made, right? You got ocean, it starts with just wind swell, and then yeah. that's traveling thousands of miles over the ocean. That connects to become ground swell, and then it hits, it gets close to a shoreline, and it goes somewhere that's shallower, and it stands up and folds over and creates a wave. All right. Um, and I just got obsessed with how all of that worked and then when you're in that element all the time it's you basically end up with salt water in your veins right? yeah for sure 100 percent. so uh tofino's where you spent most of your time or uh, you know <laughs> I, I did like two summers there then bailed yeah and then i came back for one more summer um bailed again for a couple of years and then i was back maybe like 14 15 years ago um just for like a few months i was recovering from a bad injury i shattered my pelvis in france and oh, dude broke my hip and stuff so i had to come back to canada for a bit but it's like even that only slowed me down for a couple months and i'm dealing with that now it's one of the reasons i'm back in canada right. but i was like i gotta get back out there so surfing in france as no, well snowboarding snowboarding in france yeah. it was oh. actually funny because it was like the one year i was like i'm gonna go to the ocean full time and it was right before i became a captain yeah so i was like i'm gonna do one last season snowboarding and when you're traveling around the world you meet all these cool people right yeah, for sure somebody's going to france or whatever and they're like yeah hey, we've got an extra room or i can get you a job so i was like you know what i want to go and take that opportunity i was 24 at the time i think yeah i think maybe just turning 24 when when i got over there and i was like yeah i just want to do one last sort of hit with the snow because i knew that the ocean was going to take over yeah and then yeah ended up with in a hospital in france <laughs> So during your time over there, you're investing a lot in yourself and in your knowledge of the ocean and the water still, like the water was a passion or were you still just kind of like, I'm doing my thing over there on the mountain? Oh, I mean, I, I started on the ocean. I mean, my connection with Europe was, um, I have a British passport. So I actually worked in a surf town okay. in England called, uh, Newquay or it's, I was outside of Newquay in Cornwall. Okay. So that's where those friends were and, um, or where I first met them. And then they go down to France for the winter. Yeah. So I'd met them a couple of years before and actually someone I was teaching surfing with in Canada in between um, was in a band <laughs> in <laughs> France <laughs> so well he was me. like yeah man I've got all the connects so cool um, but yeah I was during that winter I was already like getting all the manuals and figuring out what courses I needed to do to become a captain so it was like really kind of like a last little sabbatical at 24 <laughs> to, to go into the ocean <laughs> walk us through the process in becoming a captain I know, like, m- myself, uh, my father's done it as well. Yep. He's uh, got a, a 60-foot vessel and absolutely uh, loves the west coast of British Columbia and the waters out here. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, like walks well, through your experience. It's like any sort of trade. Um, if you want to be, I mean, you can get your captain's license as far as recreational side and that's going and doing the courses yeah. and then you're pretty much able to run your own boat at your own discretion. But to be a commercial skipper, it's, it's like a trade. You have to have your hours. Yeah. So yeah, you basically go on and work in whatever way you can on a boat. So s a lot of people will sometimes even just pouring coffee in the cafeteria on the ferry or, or being the deckhand on a whale watching boat. For sure. And just getting those hours built up. Um, and then when you start going sizing up, and I think, yeah, so in Canada, there's a certain number of hours. My license is uh, international. So that's through the Maritime Coast Guard Authority. And you have to have a certain number of miles, so many days on a boat. And then you'll qualify for this license. And then really the school part was only six days. Oh, wow. It was five days in a classroom and your exams on Saturday. And that's all your chart work and your title ranges and um, weather. And you have to score at like 86 or higher. So you basically have to get an A or you're, right. <laughs> you're not going to pass. Right. And chart work's difficult or just like anything else? Is uh, studying and do you your gotta work? you got to study, right? Yeah. I mean, it's only five days in the class. But again, it's like a trade. You, yeah. You've already got your time out there. You should have a base right. knowledge. Project. So yeah. bringing in the nautical words. Um, so I mean, <laughs> charts are, they're universal on how they work and latitude and longitude and finding your position. Sure. And it tells you all the things about where currents are going to be at certain tides. So it's bringing that all together. It's a lot of knowledge. So if you're going in green and, you're gonna s and you've just been pouring coffee on a ferry, yeah. um, you're not going to pass after yeah. five days. No kidding. But then that international license is also, you have to do a practical exam and that takes about it could be 24 to 36 hours. I did my exam with like four other people on the boat. So it was about 36 hours and we had to, we actually get examined out there on the water, um, manning the vessel. And as a captain, you have to be able to like, you know, show you can use your team. Yeah. You know, no one's a hero out there. We're talking about open ocean. Yeah. We're not talking about, you know, going fast. And you, are you tested just then like on all levels of instruments, including just yeah. basic stars and compass kind of thing or what at the start you're doing coastal so yeah. it's like charts and oh, okay. using your depth sounder and like your speed and then you have to do blind navigation so it's almost like you've still got your paper chart but all your instruments go dead other than your okay. depth and speed um yeah. anyway things are changing this was a while ago so they're starting to actually let you use your gps and then they'll be like oh gps just went out Okay. So you have to kind of demonstrate that you can lead a team and know all the aspects of it, understand how to like, you know, use currents or wind windage to actually get your vessel into a berth or on a, on a mooring yeah. instead of just, you know, using engine. Cause I did my exam under sail. So we had to do everything, even like sailing up to a mooring ball or even sailing onto a dock. Oh, wow. And you know, we're in like enclosed harbors where like wind is swirling around. So you have to be like 360 aware. Right, like you're looking at little ruffles on the water or way of flags going here, but it's maybe a different direction there because it's all switching around yeah. and still bring it on the dock at, while commanding a team. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's a base level one that a lot of people have because that's a 200 ton license yeah. and then you start going up. Okay. But I stayed there. Um, a lot of friends that were even below that, that I've met along the way of now like 3000 ton or unlimited ton licenses for captain. But I switched over into conservation, and I also didn't really want to be in charge of a boat any bigger than 200 right, tons. <laughs> right. So did this end up, did you end up getting a boat out of this, or what was your first kind of like trips on your own, or you end up with a boat, or did you go run well, somebody else's? Or? Yeah, you always, I, I didn't grow up with much, so there's no like boat there. We had a little ski boat in yep. the lakes um, out in Maple Ridge. But um, yeah, actually to learn to sail, I hitchhiked out of Hawaii. 
Oh yeah. So um, it was before the accident in France. I was, um, I went and spent the the winter on the North Shore of Kauai, yep. living in Honolulu, and that's where I started studying Polynesian navigation. And I'd already worked on a couple of boats, but I'd never really sailed. So I went over to Oahu as the States was getting ready to kick me out of the country because <laughs> I was at the end of my visa. Right. And right. Um, <laughs> put a sign up and like um, just walked around and asked everyone if they were leaving. And no one was at the time, actually. So I flew down to Tahiti and did the same thing again, put up signs and everything because I had to get out of the States. Yeah. I was going to get like fully overstay my visa and never be allowed back. Yeah. So I flew down to Tahiti and then somebody had seen my sign in Hawaii. And I was just about to get a job on an outer island in, in the in the Society Islands, like halfway in between Tahiti and Bora Bora, like just teaching kite surfing. Okay. And then this boat called up and they're like, hey, we, we need crew. We're going to sail from Hawaii to the Kiribati, Samoa, um, down around. And then we're going to come back up into Thailand. But because of typhoon season, they wanted to do this long route. Okay. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like imagine all the stuff we'd get to see. Oh, wow. So I flew back to Hawaii and hopped on that boat. How long did that take? Uh, I only lasted till Samoa on that one because the captain almost killed us on multiple occasions. <laughs> and it was like one of those things where like you learn everything you don't do as a captain. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess it was beneficial in the end. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, it was an experience and we didn't die. So it all worked out. So this brings you to, um, I'm sure a, b- a bunch of other experiences as well, but then brought you to owning your own yeah. vessel and ending up where? So my first boat I bought in Tahiti when I was on my 28th birthday. Um, by then, I'd oh, good for you. Has a, yeah, a nice little birthday present. Yeah, that's that's pretty good though. Um, I've gone backwards every year since. <laughs> <laughs> so I was pretty. I think that's another reason I got into this work, like working in conservation, is because by 28 I owned my own home outright. I lived in French Polynesia as a resident, yep. and um, and I got paid good money to go guiding. So like super yachts that were coming through, and they wanted somebody that knew all the different water sports because there's a lot of people that are like either a dive filmer or sure. good at kiting or they're like a local surf guide and spearfishing but i kind of broached over most of them other than spearfishing and but i knew the people that were good at it right so i would just help them out and yeah i lived on my 40 foot steel hull boat she was called cassiope um yeah 28 years old living the dream um, what is that experience like mind-blowing yeah it's no just kidding and French Polynesia is insane, right? You have five archipelagos. Like yeah. The, the actual, like, mass of ocean that it takes up is, like, more than Western Europe. So, like, the, the diversity where you're from, like, the Marquesas, which is, like, Hawaii, like, yeah. really young islands. And then you go through the Tuamotus, which is, like, all sort of atolls. Like, they've already sunk down, and all they're just a fringing coral reef. Okay. And then you get to the Society Islands, where it's, like, they're in that stage in between. So, you still have that mountainous main island with, like, a fringing reef barrier. Okay. And then you have the Gambiers and the Australs, which are all in different stages again. So, like, you just... And then, like, I call it Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like, especially underwater. I've heard all these terms, but I've never heard it related in that way. And that's that's really interesting. I like that. And I think that's kind of... Again, we're getting back to the connection with nature. Is like, when you're experiencing those things, and you're, like, even just as a passerby, like, someone that's just working in the field. Like, I didn't really go to school and study these things. It's just... I went, like, physically was involved with them and... You learn by immersion. Exactly. It, right? Yeah. Like learning another language, it's better to go to the country. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Um, you were saying you had a couple of uh, kind of crazy experiences as well. You want to share a couple of those? Well, like that time in Indonesia where we had AKs for it, fired ass? Yeah, like that time. Um, so, yeah, I was only like 21, and that was pretty crazy. So I'd, I'd traveled around Australia when I was 20, and 
met this guy in passing who um, started a yacht charter and or like a surf charter in Indonesia, yeah. but up in like the Banyak Islands. Sure. Sorry. <coughs> and um, that was like rebel territory back then. You know, like they had a huge civil war going on, and they're the only people that were actually like allowed to operate there. Um, is that close enough? A little bit, a little bit more, yeah. So maybe a little bit more. <laughs> no worries. Um, it's pretty cash. <laughs> exactly. So. I was just trying not to cough in everyone's ear. Yeah. Um, so we were out in these Banyak Islands, um, and there was a couple of other boats that operated in other <coughs> island chains like south of there. Okay. And they would come up every once in a while for a trip for like a, an extended one when people would charter for like a month. Okay. But, you know, th the people that were living there get nothing out of it. So what they were doing was driving out there to see who was surfing in their waters. And they're like, well, we've got to get something out of this, right? Because we actually operated out of that area or the guys I was working for had been there for a bit. They decided to come up and, and they drove up to us in really fast boats while we were driving away to go get some supplies. And I was like, that's really weird. I never see this kind of boat out here. And then I looked over the other side and I saw one coming up from the other side. And I was like, well, that's weird that they have us surrounded. And then he just saw this guy stand up and start firing off um, you know, semi-automatic machi semi automatic machine gun. And we're like, no way. Is he just trying to freak you out and get you out of the area, or is it like a they, pirate trying They to wanted to have a meeting. Right. So they, and it, we actually got it off lucky because they knew that we worked in that area and they wanted to actually have a meeting and talk about like how to regulate people coming to their area. Right. Because it was kind of separate from the rest of the country. Um, everyone else that was in the water, because we had actually left the waves, yeah. everyone else that was in the water got pulled out by gunpoint. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And, um, yeah, like you don't really think about those things happening until, uh, yeah. Well, people don't, I mean, I think we're really, um, entitled here in Canada and we don't have those experiences, but I mean, anyone that's actually worked in or even just visited a developing country, right? like Chris Rock has a really funny thing. in the last one I saw about like going to Jamaica and it's like that point in between the airport and the five star <laughs> resort, <laughs> yeah, don't go to that death defy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, we do so, actually live and work in those so places. True. It's really true. I haven't been to Jamaica, but a couple of other islands down there, same sort of thing. And you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. You got any other crazy ones like that? Well, that one actually got crazier. So, yeah, I'll just keep going on that. Sure, actually, sure, like, sure. So we went to the island to have this meeting with them, and my boss was like, hey, if I'm not back in two hours, send me a card at Christmas and get everyone out of the country. And I was like 21 years old. I was like, uh. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like, He's like, no, like, seriously, This is if this goes south, it's going to go south. So if, if I'm not back in two hours, just get out of here. And it got to that time point where we – we had to go. Yeah. He wasn't back. We were on a remote island. We had no communications with anyone on the outside world. And we had a bunch of Western people in a, in a strictly Muslim area. War in Iraq um, Part 2 had just started. So it's like they can't tell who's Australian, who's Canadian. They just seem right. white. Right. And um, it's a really touchy time. So anyway, we start, like, getting the boat all fired up. And, like, I didn't even know how to drive a boat. But the there was the Indonesian engineer there. And he was going to take control, luckily. I was the cook. Right. I didn't wow. I didn't know anything. <laughs> so this was prior to was becoming prior. a captain. Yeah, was, yeah this sure. was like way before. And then we're so we're getting the lines off and all of a sudden Marcus keeps kind of like starts running up the road and he's kinda of like waving his hands. And the way that I remember it now is like they they had pitchforks and like torches and everything. It, they weren't. <laughs> but it was just like yeah, yeah, this is the way yeah. that we were feeling at that yeah. minute that moment. And then we're like, we gotta go. He's gonna have to jump. And he's just like running down the road, and like the whole village just comes out from every side of the roads, just like running down, chasing him. And like I'm picturing, like I'm saying, pitchforks and torches. And 
and he's just like waving his hands and we're like you're gonna have to jump and he's like no don't go and we're like what and he's like just stop and i'm like why are you running and he's like because i was late <laughs> it's like well why is everyone chasing you he's like a white guy in the village this <laughs> is like what yeah. <laughs> turned out he's just playing chess with the cops and like everything was fine and the only reason they fired off the machine guns because they wanted us to pull over but, but that's what they do to get you to pull <laughs> over <laughs> hey buddy this is normal for a canadian exactly not really into it <laughs> that's the way I mean you'd be shopping in the markets and like yeah. the barrel of a gun would bump you in the face and you're just trying to get your bananas and like I'm just not interested in that side of life yeah. and like in the South Pacific especially like the Polynesian Triangle I mean everyone's just so in love with nature and it's all about like your connection with your land and your ocean and everyone does their own little parts like you know like Mitch who's over here like you know, every time you're in Tahiti like grandma's out there in the morning like raking up the leaves and picking the ripe fruit off the trees and uh, uncle's out there fishing and it's always like a family ordeal where everyone's doing their part wow. and it's just yeah you just fall in love with it cause yeah. it's like paradise full paradise yeah yeah that's that's what really draws people there yeah wow that's cool um so you've got your own vessel sounds like a thread throughout your whole life has been uh, that love of nature and that love of the ocean in particular, um, which has brought you to the point that you're at today in yep. conservation and owning your own boat. Yep. Uh, talk a little bit about that. So I, I had Cassiope and then I wanted, I had that real good setup, right? Like I said, yep. only 28 and still young and super ambitious and, I was like, oh, I want to go into conservation because I just found that we were destroying everywhere that we went. Sure. I mean, you think about showing up in summer and you're taking people diving with a super yacht and like they drop an anchor that's as big as this room and they're just destroying coral, yeah. you know, so they can dive 200 meters in the other direction. Right. But they destroy everything that's in front of them. So I, that's just an example, but I wanted to work on fixing these places. So I sold my boat in Tahiti and I bought a boat called, um, called Moana in New Zealand. And she's actually a a double hole voyaging canoe and i do want to say like this was way <laughs> before disney put, put out the movie moana just means ocean okay. in Polynesian. <laughs> um, and, and my daughter would love that boat by the way well you saw the video today yeah. she can come sailing yeah. Yeah. it's perfect <laughs> it's a good time yeah. it's basically a floating treehouse awesome so uh, this was in 2012 when i am sold off cassiope and got her and she's she's tied together with string it's literally a double hull voyaging canoe where you have two canoes as the hulls and then you have cross beams that oh, wow. like lash it together with string there's like trap doors yeah. it's like like swiss family robinson sailing it's insane <laughs> i mean i was the happiest kid right because yeah, i'm now cool. like in my 30s and i get to act like a 10 year old every day <laughs> i still haven't changed but <laughs> you probably miss it a lot oh, yeah. stuck stuck in vancouver right now vancouver british columbia and it's pouring rain outside <laughs> you see it's weird because like we all grow like there was definitely a time like where i thought i was never going to leave the south pacific ever again um that i'd just come back for family things mm -hmm. um but the more i got into this side of work um i actually i get a lot of excitement over you know getting people engaged in sure. solutions based stuff which now is specifically waste plastics in the ocean but there's been a huge journey in there, you know, and and I actually don't, I, I kind of happy to be back in Canada, really happy if it's just six months a year, and then the rest of yeah. the time of the year, I'm actually out in the field, sure. this would be my dream, um, because I've got such a connection with it, and I also, with this side of work, I, I want projects going on the ground, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm not content with, because because I came from that side, I'm not really content with 
people like contributing to an organization where everyone's just going to sit in a room and talk about concepts or maybe publish a paper on what people could do. Yeah. Like we w like hands on the ground. And I think that that's what uh, really drew me to wanting to have this conversation was linemen are predominantly outdoorsy people. Yeah. We uh, spend our lives working outside mm -hmm. as well as playing outside. Um, you put us in an office like I'm currently in these days, and it's hard. It was a hard four-year adjustment to, to do this, and I still fight it every I day. I say only four <laughs> years, you probably. <laughs> I still fight it every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, Wake up we're screaming. hunters. We're yeah. fishers. We're dirt bikers. We're hikers, bikers, like whatever. Yeah. Love the ocean. Love the land. And this is the message that I want these guys to really hear is like whatever yeah. you're in, whether it's land conservation or ocean, ocean conservation, yeah. it's important to look after our planet. Exactly. And I think like you guys have, and my dad always talked about that, how it was one of his favorite parts of the job was being out in the most remote places around BC and, you know, being up a pole and looking down at just nature going off underneath him. And the thing is, like, if you are in a land conservation, normally, that's what I like about plastic pollution is it really all comes together. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't like plastic pollution, but I mean, like, I working on this saying. topic is, like, it comes home to everyone. You know, if, and even kids up in the Kootenays, when I was presenting at schools up there in January, I asked them right away, I was like, do you know why I'm here presenting to you and what it has to do with you at home? Yeah. And then we're talking about sparwood. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> right, on the, town. right on the Albertan border. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, because if... This is basically the bottom of the Rockies, right? The, yeah. the upper end of the Rockies, for my American listeners, the yeah. upper end of the Rockies come up through British Columbia, between British Columbia and Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Sparwood's right at the base of that. Exactly. And the thing is, like, so we have a lot of big rivers um, that are running through, right? So the kids right away, we're talking about, like, grade one, they're throwing their hand up and be like, yeah, you know, if I if I litter a plastic bag and the wind blows it, that's going to eventually get to the river and then the river is going to go to the ocean and then it's, it can go to an island on the other side and kill a, a turtle. And I'm like, well, my job's done. <laughs> you know, like you already know, can we, we want to go and fix it? Yeah. But, um, no kidding. Yeah. It's amazing. But I think, yeah, it's, it's really cool how, you know, whether you are into land conservation or up, you know, into the mountains and everything, but it's all connected really at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, working on this topic is because it comes home to everyone. And, yeah, I mean, it's polluting lakes and, and rivers as well. It's getting into our food stream and fish. And when did you ultimately first get into conservation, um, an ocean conservation? So it was at that time when I had Cassiope. So basically when I had it all by 28, I was like, well, tick. Um, now I want to start doing something to support these places. And it was actually, like, being on that boat on my own in the middle of nowhere surfing perfect waves no one around and it was just like i have to do something yeah. and i think there was actually a big rain and like at that time i didn't know it was going to be i didn't know much about plastic pollution back then but i remember seeing like chairs like floating past me and fridges and such after a big rain what? because like there's no real waste control in those countries yeah. and they've got nowhere to put it right so they put it on the side of the river big rain happens boom it takes it to the ocean yeah that's their way of getting rid of it and that's so amazing Basically, that took a couple of years there, and then yeah, I got into got Moana in two thousand twelve, and then that's where it went full time. So the last seven years. Wow. Something broken over there? No, no, I'm <laughs> just check, just checking her out, making sure she's all good. <laughs> um. So where's that? You're talking about plastic, uh, plastic pollution now. So what are you involved in these days, and how does that connect to the? the your life up to this point 
so these days I've, I've just come back to Canada and decided to stay full time and I've teamed up with an organization called Plastic Oceans okay. so we have a, an office in the United States Hong Kong Chile Mexico UK and one in Canada Kay. so um, that those organizations all started when the film A Plastic Ocean came out about three and a half years ago Okay, um, it's quoted by Dave, David Attenborough to be one of the most important films of our time um, and award winning documentary and so people can find this where sorry online uh, plasticoceans.ca is yeah. is the one that I'm I'm the executive director of and then plasticoceans.org is the rest of the Americas so like our Chile and Mexico office all run under that same website okay and then the, yeah there's plasticoceans.uk uh, and they can find the film on Netflix Netflix Apple TV anywhere you can just google a yep. plastic ocean a plastic ocean awesome yeah. and we have we've got more films coming out but yeah okay. that's so that's what I'm doing now but that that seven years in between, there was a lot of field work and it was all in the islands, like trying to figure out how we stop plastic getting in there in the first place. How do we convert it to something that's useful for developing countries or, you know, social enterprise models? Sure. I never, I didn't come from a charity background. I wasn't like, okay, we got donor dollars. We're just going to yeah. go out and do one week in the field. Like I, I lived there, yeah. you know, like my whole home, my whole life was down in these islands. So at that stage, I really wasn't prepared to come home to do fundraising. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, nah, I run the field show. Yeah. And I'm driving the boat and doing all, I mean, I had registered businesses in these countries and had to import the boat into there and do all the fees and make it commercial vessel. And then we did a lot. We did volunteerism trips where people can come and like get hands on and like sail around with us and s learn how it ends up in different places and work right. with local communities. And that would finance little small projects to go on the ground that would create micro economies for these communities to actually collect waste plastic and turn it into second life cycle products um, and then through that we had to build education programs corporate responsibility programs for people out there um, and then also we started just last year because um, i never really was into the retail side we started actually curating packs for different themes of life Kay. that would actually minimize your plastic footprint so we're doing we're bringing that into to plastic oceans now as well with a couple of set ones like that specifically reduce your single-use plastic footprint okay but so there's been a very huge journey there and a lot of different projects what do you call those and where do you find them all on plasticoceans.ca plastic ocean. yeah so if you want to see our history it's oceanambassadors.org okay. um, there is an ocean ambassadors canada um, they that's not us that they started up couple years ago they're doing great work up here in the north shore like deep cove area like north vancouver okay um they're more interactive they play our movie a plastic ocean in their their program okay but then they have more of like a field trip exercise but that yeah if you want to learn about the all the different jobs that went on in between that's oceanambassadors.org and then what we're we're kind of merging those two companies together or the foundation and my old company to plastic oceans canada um so yeah we've it's basically we're focusing on two set packs to minimize people's single-use plastic because um, a lot of government or a lot of cities in Canada are trying to phase out single-use plastics, like right. even ban them. But like, you know, the city of Victoria was like, okay, we're going to ban single-use plastics. And then the Canadian Plastics Association sued them and like basically put them over a barrel. And then every other town in the country was like, okay, we got to hold off and see how this plays out because yep. otherwise all of our tax dollars are going in to fight the Plastics Association. Right. So the city of Victoria won, and now they're going to move forward. And that they're a template that the city of Vancouver, Toronto, and, and also small municipalities like Tofino is already working on it. But the idea behind our PACs is, you know, we're 
with Plastic Oceans Canada is like if you buy a pack for $25, you get like produce bags. So you don't have any single use plastic bags, bulk food bags, um, a reusable shopping bag like most people would have in Canada by now. But like, you know, it's actually made of natural linen where it's not going to become plastic pollution at the end of the day. Sure. Or a travel kit where you have like your bamboo cutlery set. So you can even take that on a plane. I mean, it drives me nuts whenever I go on a plane and you get that like little plastic wrapped package with all your cutlery and everything and they don't even recycle them and you know thousands of people flying every single day so you can actually take a bamboo cutlery kit with you everywhere and a little collapsible cup and that's our travel kit a lot of this would be handy for for the listeners on here right like uh like myself i i call it a tramp lineman right you tramp around you move from project to project across the country or wherever you're going and you're constantly on the move Mm -hmm. and you're staying in these locations and you got these bags with you you know to have reusable stuff instead of just and grabbing the stuff off the shelf that's, you know, put in plastic containers. And yeah. this is thinking about these things and taking them with you and using them while you're on the road. Yeah, definitely to bring it back to your listeners. I think it's like it doesn't take up too much room. That's yeah. the whole point of the, these are like compact kits. Yeah. And it, and yeah, I mean, my dad was on the road all the time. You guys are eating out, you know, yeah. you're, you're taking, you're using takeaway all the time. But if you just have those little tools that means all these amazing places that you're going and experiencing will actually stay that way. Yeah. And nothing's going to end up in the river, go down towards the ocean and then end up on the other side killing a turtle. Yeah. Well, it's small things you can do. Like you start with the small things and that's why I really like your message of single use plastics. And I'm yeah. like I said, like I told you today earlier that I've haven't heard to this point yet for some weird reason or it hasn't clicked yet. Single use plastic. So it's, it's, you know, in a perfect world, if there was a perfect world, we'd eliminate all plastic. But plastic is a usable, exactly. it's a usable product in a lot of ways. And we say that in the film too. You know, it's like we're not saying plastic's the devil. We just have to be careful on what we do with it. Right. Right. So single use, like, and that's what I, I like about this engagement opportunity because, yeah. you know, we're working with schools. We're using this as a buy-in for businesses, or like all the employees buy in it, get their packs, and then you've supported the foundation instead of asking for just donations. Right. But the thing is, it really gets people engaged and starts thinking about the rest of this stuff. But it comes down to that single-use thing. Phase those out. But, you know, other plastics in some scenarios are actually, like, the product we want to use because it is the most sustainable as long as we don't dump it in the ocean when we're done. You know, we can turn it into a second life cycle, make another product after. It's a super versatile product. We can gasify it and turn it back to alternative fuels because plastic is made from oil. So if it reaches the end of its life cycle, boom, chuck it in a gasifier and turn it back to a diesel alternative. And that's what you're doing. You've, you've built some of these units or you've had somebody build these um, units or promoting them. I just, I, I'm all like operations and implementation. Yeah. Like I don't invent anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not you yourself, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, I seen you're promoting these gasification yeah. units. So we've had that mach- I had a, a blessed desktop processor. If anyone wanted to look that up. That's uh, that Japanese guy on YouTube that you've probably seen. I'm putting plastic bags in a machine and then right. makes diesel on the other side. So that was a machine that we, going back to the beginning, as we were trying to you know, implement these projects in developing islands, we could take that machine anywhere and we could plug it in. And you know, you're, you're converting waste plastics to alternative fuels and actually gaining 10 units of energy along the way. Um, so everyone thinks that, oh, the conversion process would take more energy than you would get out of it, but it's actually on a commercial scale, that's not true. If you have everything set up, and especially somewhere like Canada, um, where we already have waste collection and separation, um, it can go 
I mean, you don't, you're not actually financing that part because we already actually do that. That's in our budget. Yep. Um, all you have to do is actually get the machine and have it directed to there. And somewhere like Haida Gwaii, you know, like yep. we're like that, uh, a school in Haida Gwaii has bought that machine off me. So we shipped it back from the South Pacific and they're, and they're, they're powered off diesel generators, the whole community. Yep. So we can actually look at collecting the, the world's garbage that's arriving on our shores in Canada and gasifying it. Cause it's already, it's basically being collected there. The, yeah. There'd be a little bit of, of outreach work and probably a lot of volunteer hours as well. Cause people are happy to get out there and yeah. help. That's yeah. the cool thing about, about, um, everyone on this topic not just canadians you know like everyone's just so ready to help this issue yeah you know they're like but how yeah and i think that's what i'm trying to do with plastic oceans canada is bring it all down to a personal level and like what you can do and offer those yeah. opportunities whether it's through expeditions where we take people out to these places and yeah. they're paying us to do that just like a vacation and you have fun along the way but you're also doing some good and you're learning about the the place that you go to you're supporting a local organization yeah. you're actually putting things on the ground that'll stay there for them. It feels like you took a trip with a purpose. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think people want that these days. Yeah. Not everyone's, I think everyone's pretty over. I mean, at the, s at the same time, like, yeah, it's great to go and sit around by the pool if you've been working hard. And sure. Nothing against that. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people are looking for an engagement opportunity and they want to, especially a topic that they're interested in. Yeah. They want to go and get out there and understand it. I feel like they put in, put in something right and helped a little i, I know yeah. it intrigues me because like even with my background as a lineman um i know a lot of other linemen are the same way like one or two days off and your battery's charged and you're rested and you're wanting to do something again like you're itching you, you come home for a week or a couple weeks and you're ready to go back to work right. and there's a lot of reasons for that, but you're ready to work again because that's what you do is you work and you love being outside and you love love that. So there's no reason why you couldn't take a trip like this, take a couple days for yourself, mm -hmm. maybe incorporate helping out as part of part of the trip. Right, that's I a good mean, way to give back. Like I'll just use our ones for uh, in Canada, for example, that we're just starting out now that I'm bringing everything home because right. um, I think that's a really cool program because it's close to home. You don't have travel days, you know, yeah. where you're going to the other side of the world. But you're going out to the west coast of Vancouver Island. You're learning from local organizations that are in your country. Yep. You're seeing what the world's issue is arriving on your home shores. Yep. But you, then you go surfing. Yeah. You know, so so you've never surfed before. You're from Manitoba. Yeah. You know, or you're somewhere in the states, and you've heard about this beautiful place called Tofino, and um, you're surfing on Canada's rugged west coast, and um, you get a lesson. You feel like how the water works, how a wave, you know, how that pushes waste plastic around the world, and but you're also having fun. And then you hop on a boat the next day and you drive all the way up through the sound and through the broken islands and go to Hot Springs Cove and have a naturalist tour, but also see how it would travel through these different places. Yeah. And then we always bring that experience from that day back to the topic of, of waste plastics in the ocean. But, you know, it's more on a, an engagement level on like, okay, well, we're just trying to understand it. And, you know, we're not pointing a finger at anyone. It's just like, okay, now you feel and understand how that works and how it travels and how it ends up on shores or ends up in entangling our wildlife. But you kind of feel like you can fix it because you understand that element. So I think it's really fun. I mean, kids love it. Yeah. Um, and also as a, you know, as a business opportunity, as a corporate retreat to recharge the batteries with, yeah. like your, with your management team and or even just like the linemen, you know, just like, okay, we got to talk about work this many hours a day but we also want to recharge the batteries and do some team building team building is huge and, and very important yeah exactly and there's no better team building well 
we're not doing sailboats on the west coast of Vancouver Island, but we could in the future. But sure. there's no better team, team building than being on a sailboat. Right. Because <laughs> if you don't, I work believe it, it. If you don't work together as a team, yeah, you're not getting to shore, and not a lot of people realize that everyone gets seasick. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're not going to get to shore, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people yeah. and a lot of sick people. So. Well, that's a great one for line guys too. Is is like our jobs, ropes and wheels and knots and something like sailing is a hands-on you're working you're doing something oh, yeah. you're you're using something that's familiar to you so that's a good idea too yeah and it's fun yeah yeah and you and you know sailing's really cool because you under it's not just that team side you're also dealing with nature you know like the, the whichever angle the wind's blowing and then it might be you know especially on in canada i mean you've got bottom contours and you're going up through mud flats and then another channel and behind another island and then you got the wind swirling from that one and you got attack and jive. So there's a lot of calculations going on. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, turning the key and Yeah, it um, sounds really cool. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know you've have uh you have some things to get to today. So do you have any other kind of closing things that you, you'd wanna mention or touch on? I'd just say like I think everyone's kinda becoming aware of this topic about waste plastics in our ocean, but I reckon we actually do have a good chance of fixing it yeah. it's just everyone on a personal level just doing their part and you know the reason i'm even in the office today is where you were very kind to help us um we could film a presentation so if everyone wants to watch that i think that really walks people through sure it answers a lot of the questions because they might have heard about some of these global initiatives and we put the numbers on the board and show how they work and we also just talk about how you help from home and, and you're planning on having that up on your site by earth day yeah april 22nd yeah exactly so and i think you were saying you probably won't even put that out till then so yeah I, i'd like to get this out for for april 22nd so yeah by sure. the time anyone hears this it'll probably be available cool. on plasticoceans.ca and the idea behind it is really to just answer everyone's questions or the majority of them yeah because we are a young under underfunded organization that's trying to get up there and i mean it just cuts down the man hours and expenses of driving everywhere yeah know. Um, so yeah, please go and take a look at that video. I think it'll answer a lot of people's questions, but cool. just, um, yeah, like I said, at the end of the presentation, just do the best you can until you know better. And yeah. when you know better, do better. Yeah. Awesome. Um, one other question, uh, any other resources, documentaries, anything like that, that from your point of view, you could suggest for, for anyone to watch? Absolutely. I mean, we've got some extra resources that go along with the film of Plastic Ocean. So there's an educational component that the teachers can use or anyone that can have it. That's a free download. And then there's also a social enterprise program where people can start their own project, um, submit a project that they're working on so we can tell other people about it. Because one of our priorities is, like I talked about earlier today, is we're not reinventing any wheels here there's a lot of cool things going on we want to just get that listed so people yeah. know where to go yeah. but then as far as other films uh there's one called albatross okay that's about midway atoll in the middle of the pacific and a nature reserve where i think w uh, a photographer called chris jordan really got that picture out of that lace and albatross that's composting dead on a beach but then there's like big lighters and like bottle caps in its stomach Wow. So it died of plastic. It might have died from other causes, but it probably died from plastic ingestion. And it shows Crazy. that that stuff is going to stay there forever while the bird is going to go back to the earth as natural, right? Yeah. And it really just shocked the world. Um, so that, that movie is called Albatross. Another one, one on Netflix as well? If you know I don't know if that okay. one's on Netflix, but um, if you look it up, you'll be able yep. to rent it somewhere. Okay. Um, Blue. Okay. Blue's a really cool one. That was... It's a journey following a lot of different ocean warriors. A lot of people that we got to work with over the 
along the way, like Tim Silverwood from Take Three, which is that great message of just picking up three pieces of trash everywhere you go. Right. They're partnered with the World Surf League now. So that makes a big difference. Like like you were talking to, three pieces of trash. It's easy to do. Whether you're walking along a beach, whether you're walking downtown on the street, Hmm. pick up three, throw them in the garbage. Then at least they're getting somewhere where they can possibly have a chance. And if you look at their site, they've quantified that because they got so big. Like people were picking up three, tagging them in, and they've actually got somebody on payroll like collecting all of those tags and the like in the billions of trash that other people have picked Crazy. up just by being engaged. I mean, they do a lot of other things, um, a lot of education components, but that starts with that simple message. Cool. Um, so yeah, blue ha- features Tim um, Silverwood in that movie. And then Jennifer labors, who's in a plastic ocean who works with um, seabirds that are dying of ingestion and how she's right. um, fixing that. So that's a great film. And then there's, there's lots coming out. We worked on a film last year called uh, eat less plastic. Okay. Uh, that's still in post-production. That was uh, actually a, a Kiwi, like a guy from New Zealand mm-hmm. um, actor who's friends with like sort of that whole circle of Kiwi actors that made it over in Hollywood. And he sailed back home from, from L.A. to oh, move wow. his family back over to New Zealand and then stopped in French Polynesia, Cook Islands, Tonga, Fiji, and then got to go back home. And he just documented everyone along the way w- on what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so that film should be out soon. We actually had a really cool scientist join most of that trip from Hawaii. Um, she's the head of conservation for uh, Trilogy Charters. And if anyone's ever been to Maui snorkeling, yep. they've probably been on a Trilogy for boat. Sure. And so, cool. yeah, there's lots of cool films out there. Um, most of them are, you know, just focus on, just learn, yep. learn about it. And there usually, hopefully there's a good message at the end of how we can fix it. But it just all comes down to everyone doing their part. I think we all can do that. We can yeah. all do a small portion to make a difference. And uh, we're outdoors people, so it's natural for us to want to protect that uh, that habitat. Exactly. And I think, like, your followers and from your work, you know, you, you work outside, you know, just the same as us as captains, you know, like, we've got that connection. Yeah. So the thing is, why would we root? Like, we know how special it is. So we're not the ones that are trying to go to Mars, you know, like. Yeah, we've got the coolest planet in the world <laughs> right here. Yeah, no kidding. With, through great engineering, like things that you guys work on, we're able to like do that sustainably and provide all these cool like natural or new technologies that we're all getting used to. Yeah. But we can also still sustain this this natural world that's um, that we've been gifted with. We don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah, 100%. and I think that um you know like they always say like um, the younger generation doesn't inherit our earth like we borrow it from them. So let's just all do our part so they can all enjoy what we had. True story. Well, Adrian, I appreciate the conversation. <laughs> Seriously, um, yeah. it was great having you. I know it was spontaneous, yeah. but uh, good to meet you, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.